1: Labour has never done well in a UK election without doing really well in Scotland. We need deposit ATMs and we need withdrawal ATMs and we need a law that means that businesses have to accept cash.
2: UK workers have had the most bargaining power essentially since the 1970s because the jobs market is so tight. Can
1: Britain actually
3: afford to maintain a global military presence?
4: You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday, so we're bringing you the Prime Minister's questions, but there's another... I was going to say circus in town, but that makes me
5: kind of sound quite judgmental to begin with. There's something else that we're also paying attention <laughs> to, Ewan. It certainly is something of a circus. Well, across town, most of the media is focused on a courtroom where a former prime minister is being quizzed about his government. Boris Johnson is facing some very tough questions today over his handling of the pandemic. Much tougher questions than he probably ever faced at PMQs, in fairness. Johnson is, of course, at the COVID inquiry for two days of evidence. He started off by apologising for pain and the loss and the suffering in the UK during the pandemic and it's certainly been compelling viewing we're going to speak to our reporter who's been following the proceedings after we take a bit of uh, prime minister's questions Stephen, so I think Rishi Sunak will be hoping for a rather less bruising encounter than we saw last week
4: yeah I feel like I really missed out on last week's prime minister's questions because I think everyone came out of it saying well didn't didn't Keir Starmer do well didn't he manage to to land a few verbal punches and and really I mean very high ratings for his performance all round not just the ad jam- about from the, the, the Elgin marbles. Um, yeah, but I, think,
5: I think he had good material to go on and he kind of had some good one-liners and he kind of managed to land them all as well, which he doesn't always have all those three, three things lined mm-hmm. up. Well, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a difficult formula to, to try and master, but
4: certainly um, high ratings all round for Keir Starmer last week. So that sets up himself to have, I suppose, quite a challenge to be able to match that performance this week as well. What are we expecting uh, in terms of things to be talked about? We will be listening out for what we might hear about the government's plans to tackle illegal migration. We know that James Cleverly went to Kigali to sign that treaty with Rwanda. Part of the government's efforts to try to um I suppose move past the Supreme Court judgment, which had blocked their effective plan to deport unsuccessful asylum seekers to Rwanda. the conversation shifting now to what the government is going to do next, what's formed the emergency, legislation is going to take, whether it's going to be the options are being described as full fat, semi-skimmed or skimmed essentially whether or not it'll be a full circuitous route around the international treaties that could block this or whether there'll be a selective uh, portion that perhaps might see the UK's Human Rights Act disapplied for asylum claims but wouldn't prevent any individual court cases being taken over it or whether it'd be some sort of third, third option as well that would see a much more minimal intervention on the part of the government. It's a legal quagmire for the government to, to to wade into because they have to try and make peace between the law that exists on the books and in international treaties but also the Supreme Court judgment without doing something that's going to prove true, too controversial either within the Tory party or or internationally for the UK as well. We know that there's a cohort of Tories and our colleagues have been reporting about this uh, who want to see a sort of a centre-ground option being taken, the so-called semi-skimmed version um, that seemed to be represented by the likes of David Cameron who's spoken about his support for the European Convention on Human Rights uh, recently as well. So that's one of the things that we're watching out for when it comes to immigration. The other thing is is when they're going to do the emergency legislation.
5: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether Keir Starmer decides to go on immigration this time. Remember last week, obviously you, you missed but last week he went on it I for listened. the whole of. Of course, he did. He went on for the whole of PMQs on immigration. Mm. Of course, this time Sunak has got something to say on the matter. Last week you have rather got the feeling that he was kind of taken on the hoof by the numbers and didn't have any substantive announcements. Of course, James Cleverley, as you say, has come out with all those proposals. So Sunak has a reply at the ready this time. So perhaps Stammer may choose to go away from that. It'll be interesting if he does choose to choose immigration because this is an issue which has is traditionally been difficult for Labour, but it's something which he's tried to take ownership of. You know. Knows it's very important to many of his potential voters, uh, and he wants to be seen to be tackling the government head on with this. And I think Labour feels it's got a good story to tell, or at least that the government has a bad uh, story, bad record to be uh, attacked on. Whether he goes on the COVID inquiry, I think will also be interesting as well. Uh, of course, the Labour being very well, critical at the same time. So unless you know somebody's going to be texting him lines and things that Boris Johnson <laughs>
4: we'll, has, we'll has perhaps been see, saying uh, in there too. So I mean, look, that's another part of the. Um, that's another part of the puzzle that we'll be watching out for as well to see what strategy the Labour leader will take in trying to criticise the government's actions on those various fronts. Something else that we're also watching out for later on reported that the Home Secretary Swella Braverman's uh, going to make her resignation statement in the Commons today, um, which could give us...
5: Uh, a bit of a show, frankly, if anything yeah. like a resignation letter is anything to judge by. I think so, yeah. I mean, you remember that letter? That was punchy, wasn't it? So uh, I think we could be in, in for some interesting uh, stuff from Suella Braverman later on. Probably something else that Rishi like is not uh, looking forward to. She's actually uh, tweeted about the uh, immigration measures, saying that she welcomed the measures announced to cut net-, net migration. They are a step in the right direction, but we need to be honest. This package is too late and the government can go further. So she's likely to be uh, pretty strong on that. And I think uh, Suela Braverman it is unlikely to pull the punches. No, indeed. And
4: look, it's going to be something that's going to be timed specifically to try and do probably the follow-up to the damage that was done by the resignation letter as well. And, and to put her point of view, again, we are talking about the cohorts in the Tory party. She's in a different cohort from those centrists that are looking for the UK not to alienate entirely their international obligations. So getting Suella Braverman's view on that as well could be very important as we play into this debate because part of the challenge facing Rishi, Sti- Rishi Sinak is coming up with a way to, meet one of his five pledges to stop the boats,
5: quote-unquote, but to do it in a way that, you know, works to keep his party together too. Yes, and I read that a lot of One Nation uh, Tory MPs have been organising as a group of just just over 100 of them, uh, and they're apparently getting their act together. They've employed a a press officer. But of course, even centrist Tory MPs are keen to get immigration numbers down. Uh, They're not all against the Rwanda plan, although they certainly have uh, some concerns about the the so-called full-fat option uh, that you mentioned, so they probably take a slightly different tone on that. But I think Tory MPs are fairly universal. that They think the numbers are too high and more needs to be done Uh, to bring them down. And of course this comes after we've had the the changes announced this week too to try and tighten up
4: visa rules around legal migration as well. So that's part of the government's response on this issue. Uh, But something too that we are watching out to see if more details might be given of it during uh, Prime Minister's questions and where the government's strategy may go next on this too. It's an interesting, I suppose, week of announcements that we've seen on what will be such an important issue uh, coming up to the next election, but also something that's very key to how the parties are going to position themselves on this too, because as you say, it's it's sort of testing public opinion on things and seeing what is going to go down well with voters at the end of this, depending on how the parties decide to to develop their strategy, but something that also looks like decisive action for the part of the government and perhaps looks like something that Labour can distinguish themselves on because you say it's it's a bit of a tricky issue for them too.
5: Yeah, net migration of 745,000, which was a number which I think probably nobody was really expecting. Of course, some of it is explained by migration from Ukraine uh, and from Hong Kong and those are kind of one-offs, particularly in the case of, of Ukraine, but I think you know migration through other routes, particularly for health and social care, because the NHS and care homes are really short of people. Well,
4: the government was very quick to jump in and say that these new tightened visa rules wouldn't necessarily apply to NHS workers either, because it's something, of course, they'd be very worried about and trying to staff the NHS if you were to try and do so with this much higher income threshold set on people being able to come here. But there, you know, there have been warnings and there's been groups warning that the Prime Minister that you know you you risk splitting up families essentially by providing rules at this level. Let's listen in now to the opposition leader, Keir Starmer.
3: Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker, and it's very good to see you in your place. And we wish the speaker a speedy recovery. Uh, This week, we lost two giants of the Labour family, and I thank the Prime Minister for his comments. Alistair Darling was a man of unassuming intelligence, warmth and kindness. He brought a calm expertise and, in private, a cutting wit and devoted his love of his family was ever-present. Our thoughts are with Maggie, his wife, Callum, Anna, who he loved so dearly. Glennis Kinnock was a passionate campaigner for social justice who changed lives home and abroad. She was a loving and supportive partner and mother, and her death is a huge loss to all of us. We are thinking of Neil, of Stephen, Rachel, and of all the family. Can I also echo the Prime Minister's comments in relation to Lord Douglas Hamilton? And in relation to the Hillsborough families, they deserve justice. In a previous capacity, I worked with the families. They waited a very, very long time for the findings, thanks to people in this House, Um, and they've waited a long time for this response, but I'm glad it is now coming. Madam Deputy Speaker, if the purpose of the Rwanda gimmick was to solve a political headache of the Tory's own making, to get people out of the country who they simply could not deal with, then it has been a resounding success. After all, they have managed to send three Home Secretaries there, an achievement for which the whole country can be grateful. So, Apart from members of his own cabinet, how many people has the Prime Minister sent to Rwanda?
2: Madam Deputy Speaker, as I have been clear before, we will do everything it takes. Mr Speaker, we will do everything it takes to get this scheme working so that we can indeed stop the boats and that's why this week we have signed a new legally binding treaty with Rwanda which together with new legislation will address all the concerns that have been raised because everyone should be in no doubt about our absolute commitment to stop the boats and get flights off because, Madam Deputy Speaker and this is the crucial point that the Honourable Gentleman doesn't understand deterrence is critical even the National Crime Agency. Have said that you need an effective removals and deterrence agreement if you truly want to break the cycle of tragedy that we see. But what we heard this morning from his own ministers was that was that they would scrap the scheme even when it is operational and working. As again, once again, Mr. Speaker, once again, instead of being on the side of the British people, he finds himself on the side of the people smugglers.
3: Madam Deputy Speaker, when they first announced this gimmick, they claimed Rwanda would settle tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands of people. (laughs) Then the Deputy Former Prime Minister quickly whittled it down to mere hundreds. Then the Court of Appeal in June made clear there's housing for just 100. The current number of people sent there remains stubbornly consistent. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the same, at the same time, at the same time, Madam Deputy, Article 19 of the Treaty says the parties shall make arrangements for the United Kingdom to resettle a portion oh. of Rwanda's most vulnerable refugees in the United Kingdom. So, how many refugees from Rwanda will be coming here to the UK under the Treaty? Mr. Speaker, what?
2: Madam Deputy Speaker, sorry. Order. Order! Prime Minister that addresses all the concerns of the Supreme Court. But I, it's a it's a point of pride, Madam Deputy Speaker, that we are a compassionate country that does welcome people from around the world. But but let's just let me just get the honourable gentleman up to speed on what we are doing. Reduce the number of illegal arrivals from Albania by 90%. Increase the number of illegal working rates by 50%. Because of all the action, we've taken the number of small boat arrivals down by a third, Madam Deputy Speaker. But what is the honourable gentleman's plan? Because it comes down to he just oh, simply on. doesn't have a plan to address this problem. Oh, no. But no, no, I'm probably being unfair because he does have a plan. It's to cook up a deal with the EU that would see us accept a hundred thousand illegal migrants
3: migrations trebled on his watch, and yep, all he yeah. can do is make up numbers about the Labour Party. It is really pitiful. I am not actually sure the Prime Minister can have read this thing. Article 4 says the scheme is capped at Rwanda's capacity. That is 100. Article 5 says Rwanda can turn them away if they want. Article 19 says we actually have to take refugees from Rwanda. How much did this fantastic deal cost us yeah. Prime Minister. Uh,
2: Madam Deputy Speaker as the Home Secretary was crystal clear about there is no incremental money there is no incremental money that has been provided this about is ensuring that the concerns of the Supreme Court have all been addressed in a legally binding treaty that will allow us to operationalise the scheme but I'm glad he raised the topic of legal migration which I agree is absolutely far too high Madam Deputy Speaker that's why this this week, we have outlined a plan, bigger than any other government before, to reduce the levels of legal migration by £300. It is an incredibly comprehensive plan. So, If he cares so much about it, the simple question for him is, does
3: he support the plan? Yes, 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 Madam, yes, Madam Deputy, yes, Madam Deputy yes, Speaker, yes, he clearly has not really it. Annex, Annex A says on top, to on like top of the £140 million He's already showered on Rwanda. When we send people there under this treaty, we have to pay for their accommodation oh. and their upkeep for five years. Oh. And that's not all. This morning a government minister admitted that anyone we send to Rwanda who commits a crime can be returned to us. I'm beginning to see why the Home Secretary says Rwanda scheme it's something to do with bats, I think, was it? <laughs> What does what does he first think attracted Mr. Kagami to hundreds of millions of pounds for nothing in return? I, I'm, I've slightly lost the thread of the question, Madam Deputy
2: Speaker. But the the simple point is the simple point the, the simple point is there's a simple question here. If you believe in stopping the boats, as we on this side of the House do, you need to have an effective deterrence and returns (laughs) agreement. It's as simple as that. The honourable gentleman is not interested in stopping the boats, which is why he's not interested in the Rwanda plan. In fact, Madam Deputy Speaker, in fact, we know that they don't want to tackle this issue. Because even when, even when this government was trying to deport foreign national offenders out of this country, they opposed it. Multiple members of his shadow front bench all signed a letter to me to that effect. But I don't need to tell him that, because he signed it too.
3: Okay, that's that's enough. Securement. Madam Deputy Speaker, I would say that this treaty's got more holes in than the Swiss cheese, but I don't want to wind up the Prime Minister by talking about a European country again. Madam Deputy Speaker, you have to give credit to the Rwandan government. They saw this Prime Minister coming a mile off. You can only imagine their delight, their sheer disbelief. When having already banked £140 million of British taxpayer money without housing a single asylum seeker, the Prime Minister appears again with another offer they can't refuse, a gimmick that will send taxpayers' money to Rwanda, refugees from Rwanda to Britain and won't stop the boats. It was mentioned of Margaret Thatcher earlier. Yeah. How- Understandable excitement about the motion of the name. But
0: the House must listen to the Leader of the Opposition, Sir Keir I
3: Party go from up yours to laws to take our money, Kigami. (laughs) Mr.
5: Speaker.
2: Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, when it comes when it comes to this European thing and Margaret Thatcher, this is this is the week that the Shadow Foreign Secretary, I think, didn't rule out rejoining the European Union. He can role play Margaret Thatcher all he wants, but when it comes to Europe, his answer's the same: yes, yes, yes.
3: Forget the private jet, he's obviously on a private planet of his own. But as we, Daily Mail readers learned this week that the Prime Minister has begun to feel sorry for himself. He's even been heard comparing his plight to his beloved Southampton Football Club. I do think that's a bit harsh because Saints have been on an 11 game unbeaten run, while, as the song has it, the Prime Minister gets battered everywhere he goes. But if you want the perfect example of how badly the Tories have broken the asylum system, last week, the Home Office admitted that 17,000 people in the asylum system... Order! Order! Come on! Sir Keir Starmer. Thank you. you want the perfect example of how badly they have broken the asylum system, Madam Deputy Speaker, last week the Home Office admitted that 17,000 people in the asylum system have disappeared. Their exact words—it is hard to believe this—we do not think we know where all these people are. Now, you might lose your car keys, you might lose your headphones, you might lose your marbles. How do you lose seventeen thousand people?
0: Prime Minister.
2: Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, I mean, on on the topic of football teams, I he lost, de, he used to describe interest, r, this Rwanda policy as immoral, and yet his football team has a visit Rwanda badge <laughs> on the side of. Them. In the week when he made his big economy speech, we're still waiting to hear how he's going to borrow £28 billion and still cut taxes and reduce debt. It's the same old thing, the sums don't add up. But while they're struggling with their calculator, we're getting on and delivering. A new treaty with Rwanda, the toughest measure measures to cut legal migration, are schools marching up the tables and tax cuts for millions, Madam Deputy Speaker. So whether it's controlling our borders or lowering our taxes, just like the Saints, the Conservatives are marching on!
4: So that was the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, talking there at Prime Minister's questions. Immigration, unsurprisingly, uh, the central to the conversation there. The, uh, Keir Starmer, I think, in, in full prosecutorial mode going through the treaty that had been signed with Rwanda, mm. pointing out, as he saw it, all of the flaws in the government's deal with Rwanda, pointing to things like articles that capped the number of asylum seekers that could be sent to Rwanda at Rwanda's capacity, uh, and also uh, talking about how that, in fact, uh, other other refugees could be
5: sent from Rwanda to the UK. Yeah, he was, um, he was in full barrister mode, wasn't he? Quoting Article 19, Annex A. You can see that he had like a folder with all the little tabs as well. Mm. And he, he was really sort of channeling uh, Keir Starmer the, uh, at, at the CPS. Uh, you felt that he was kind of rather enjoying that, didn't you? And he, and he did think he plucked out uh, something that he could get uh, Sunak on the hook with as well. Yeah, indeed. I did also note, um, I mean, there was one moment where I
4: actually thought that Rishi Sunak was going to break into uncontrollable laughter at, at, at the line uh, from Up Yours lore to Take Our Money Kagame. Uh, <laughs> Up Yours lore by the way which was a 1990 Sun front page about uh, Margaret Thatcher's dealings with the European Union. Uh, a second 90s reference he might have squeezed in there as well yeah. uh, talking about the, the making a reference to Carolina Hearn's Mrs. Merton's sketch yes. with Debbie McGee as well. That was rather good, wasn't it? What first attracts is the millionaire Paul Daniels, liking yes. that to Paul Kagame and the money being offered by the UK government for
5: this treaty as well. I can't help thinking that Keir Starmer's got a new gag writer. <laughs> I have to say, this is the second week on the Schwab that he's just delivered some really good lines. It just seems to be so much better than it, uh, than it has been previously. So, yeah, i would be interested to see if this carries on for a third week.
4: Yeah, this is turning into quite the uh, the weekly engagement. Of course, we bring it to you every week here on Bloomberg UK Politics. Let's, though, turn to the other focus of politics today, and that is Boris Johnson speaking to the COVID Inquiry, the first of his two days of evidence. The Inquiry's public hearings have so far painted a picture of a chaotic 10 Downing Street behind the scenes during the pandemic. The former Prime Minister started his evidence by apologising.
2: I understand the feelings of, the, of these victims and their families, and I am deeply sorry for the pain and the loss and the suffering of those victims and, and their families.
5: Well, Bloomberg's Emily Ashton's been following all the proceedings and the whole inquiry, which has been going on, uh, obviously, for some time. Emily, really interesting today, wasn't it? Obviously, lots of uh, star power, lots of little juicy bits we've heard from the Prime Minister today. Just uh, talk us through some of the the key things we've heard today so far.
1: Yes, so obviously long-awaited evidence from Boris Johnson. Um, He's giving evidence for two days to the COVID inquiry. And as you could hear in that clip, as he began speaking, he wanted to make this apology. There were people in the public gallery who stood up and were ordered out um, by the chair of the inquiry, Heather Hallett, who ordered them out, which kind of shows emotions running high at um, at this inquiry. And... The people not really standing for his apology. The apology was for the pain and the loss and the suffering of those victims and their families but and he did um talk about mistakes made by the government, but he didn't go into any detail about what those mistakes were or whether any lessons had been learned it was um it was kind of breezed over a bit, and I don't think that will um that will really help um change his um legacy in the eyes of victims and their families.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, this is an inquiry that's always been ongoing for quite a long time, and Emily, you've been following it in in detail. Uh, What other parts of evidence that the inquiry inquiry has heard are likely to be put to Boris Johnson?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, this follows months of testimony from senior people in, uh, at the heart of government, the senior scientists, um, officials, ministers, and there's been a lot of criticism about Boris Johnson's leadership. When we heard from Lee Cain, he's a former director of communications, he said the pandemic was the wrong crisis for Boris Johnson's skill set. Um, Deputy Cabinet Secretary Helen McNamara said that COVID rules were broken almost daily in Downing Street. And, you know, this this is strong criticism and I think uh, what's been focused on this morning so far is the very beginning of the pandemic and why Boris Johnson didn't act sooner. We heard from Hugo Keith and the way of putting these questions to him, you know, these, there were Cobras being chaired almost weekly by Matt Hancock from January, but um, Boris Johnson himself didn't chair a Cobra, which is this emergency meeting of ministers and officials in Downing Street itself. He didn't chair one of those until March um, and he only ordered a lockdown in late March. Well, scientists have said, well, that." And, and ministers have said that that's too late. Um, Matt Hancock, he was health secretary at the time. He believes it was three weeks too late. And obviously, in the meantime, the, the uh, virus was spreading across the UK. And we also heard from Hugo Keith, this lawyer, you know, criticism, he, he laid out list criticism about uh, the speed of lockdowns, but also about care homes. And you remember at the time, there was a lot of controversy about Patients with COVID being discharged from hospitals to care homes, that being allowed to happen, and then the virus exploding in care homes among the elderly people and vulnerable people. Um, and the speed at which restrictions ease. So, in the summer, we had this scheme called Eat Out to Help Out, um, which was effectively half price meals in restaurants and bars in August 2020. Well, that Uh, effectively reversed what we'd had as policy, this lockdown policy, was basically encouraging people to go out and mingle. So how did that fit with the government strategy? And we haven't quite come on to that yet, but I think that will be a key part of Boris Johnson's evidence because obviously it um, impacts on the current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, who was chancellor at the time.
5: Yeah, Emily. How would you describe Boris Johnson's tone? Because it's a it's a difficult balance for the former PM to strike, isn't it? Because he wants to admit there were there were some mistakes, but clearly he wants to defend his his record as well.
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting watching him. I mean, obviously we we know him as the kind of um, Brexit tub thumping politician. He's he, his demeanor is he is saying he's sorry in a very kind of vague way. But he keeps using the word we rather than I, I would say. He keeps talking about a collective failure and how nobody really understood what this virus was and how it was um, going to impact on the world and how the focus had really been on uh, diseases like SARS and MERS and um, flu-type viruses. But he doesn't talk about, you know, uh, the lawyers just put to him about, well, why didn't you... Get involved earlier, basically, and he's like, "Well, nobody really knew." And but if he was head of government, so he can't really get away from that. Um, he was the head of government, and whether it was kind of flagged to him enough or not, he he was ultimately responsible for the for the speed at which uh, decisions were taken early on, and obviously it had a huge impact on the number of um, cases and deaths.
4: Emily, what's at stake here for Boris Johnson? I mean, he's already resigned as an MP, so does this matter for him?
1: I think it's about his legacy for him. I don't think he, I think he wants to be able to put his case forward and say, look, yeah, mistakes were made, but it's fine for you to criticize from a a point of hindsight. We were right there in the room. It was really hard. Things were changing all the time. We did our, he says, we did our level best. You know, of course, some things went wrong, but I think party gate and uh, you know the fallout from the from the gatherings um in Down street has really put him in a certain light in people's minds that he was he just generally just didn't care um and he wants to correct that a bit and he wants to just correct how people see him um and see and look back at him as a prime minister and this is his, his chance to do that but ultimately i think. The people who criticise him, a lot of people whose families have been affected by COVID, this probably won't change their mind about him.
5: Emily, thank you so much for your take on that. It's Emily Ashton Bloomberg's the reporter there. who has been following uh, the inquiry. I hope to hear from you uh, later uh, on in the year as well.
4: Yeah, of course, we're going to be following the evidence for the rest of today and also tomorrow from the former Prime Minister uh, as well as we continue to watch for announcements from the government about what form that emergency legislation will take now over the next steps in their immigration plan after the treaty was signed with Rwanda yesterday. That is it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe, give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts,
5: Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock, and our audio engineer was Mariful Hussain. I'm and Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more
4: tomorrow. This is Bloomberg.
5: Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.